0: Well good morning church. How are we doing today? Good, good. I know we are in peak pumpkin spice latte season right now everyone's got their plaid i was looking around during the music i was mildly distracted at all the plaid that everybody's wearing right the holidays are basically here we can put up our christmas decoration wish each other merry christmas happy new year's right whether we like it or not that's the season we're in but hey i'm so glad to see you all here this morning my name's christian and i'm on staff here um before we get started i just wanted to have a quick moment of candor um as you know, like, life is crazy in the church right now, right? Especially at the CLC. Um, and, you know, it started like a year and a half ago with the pandemic. We were all kind of in a whirl, right? But now we are in the season of transition, right? Where we are in the process of looking for a new pastor. And so with that, I want to mention and validate all the feelings that we might be having, right? The staff has a lot of feelings too. Um, but I also want to thank you for kind of leaning in for the journey. I think that's what community is for and what community is about is journeying together in difficult seasons. Um, I actually think of, you know, the, the story of the Israelites. They were in the wilderness for 40 years um, before they experienced the promised land. Now, I'm not saying the PNC should take 40 years to find our new pastor. Not saying that at all. Um, but what I am trying to say is that usually in Scripture, we see that the seasons in the, in the wilderness are often followed by seasons of great promise and new life and new vitality. And so I want to encourage you all as we journey together, let's lean in, let's participate, let's be all about this process, and let's go forward with expectation that the best is yet to come, right? Expectation that God has great things ahead of us, uh, and let's go ahead with excitement too. I think we can be excited too, even though we have no clue all of the details, right? I uh, really appreciate our PNC team. They're, they're working very diligently um, to, to find our next leader, our next pastor. I did speak kind of on behalf of you guys. I hope it's okay. And I said the, the biggest qualification is that they have to be a diehard Eagles fan, right? Absolutely. Top of the mark, right? Amen. Uh, they have to be an Eagles fan. And, it, you know, it's a shame because they had someone apply who was overqualified for the job but they were Ravens fans. So we're like, I'm sorry, we gotta send you off. No, I'm kidding, that did not happen. But we're super proud of our PNC. They're working very diligently. And as Ben said in the video, we invite you guys to join us next week after the service. Uh, Next week, the PNC will be here to actually share some updates with you on that. So if you come to the service, you can hang out for 10, 15 minutes, and we'll get started uh, that right in here, right in the sanctuary. Um, But before we move on, let me go ahead and pray for the PNC team. Let's just pray for the church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we are in. In the mystery and the confusion and the chaos, we thank you that you have us here at this church for a time like this. None of this catches you off guard. None of this catches you by surprise. You know all of this full well. You know what the next 5, 10, 100 years look like for this church. And so, God, we thank you that you're in control and that you are trustworthy and that we can trust you with that. We pray that as our PNC team continues to meet and as they um, meet candidates, that you would just give them great clarity and great discernment for what you would have for this church. And that at the end of the day, that you would just be totally glorified and worshipped in this process. And so God, we thank you for them. We thank you for what you're doing. And we move forward with great expectation for what you have for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're in week six of this series called Parables. Parables are these short stories with great meaning, right? And I wanted to start today by reminiscing with you guys for a minute, okay? I like reminiscing. Uh, Think of a time in your childhood where your parents might have these sayings that they'd always go to, right? think of these sayings that your parents might say to you, right? We all have those kind of those those idioms, those words in our head that we remember, oh, I remember my mom or my dad would say this to me growing up. So take a moment, real quick, think about what those were for you. My dad had a lot of them uh, when I was growing up. Uh, So I'm one of five. We're a bigger family, and you know, around christmas time when a commercial would come on tv for just i don't know why we did this we were really weird we look at the tv and say i want that i want that until like the commercial goes away like so it's just like a bunch of birds just like yelling at the tv like i want that i want that and then it go away and so then eventually we actually work up the courage and say hey dad like can you get this for me or like and it, it, five kids asking them stuff all the time so he kind of got this saying it was mostly comical but he'd say nope no Just those two words, every single time. Dad, can I get this toy? Nope, no, right? Dad, can I do this? Nope, no. And it was more of this comical response that he had. Uh, Another one that he had when we got in trouble, which was never me, it was always my brother, uh, he would sternly repeat these words to us And these were words that he picked up when he was in elementary school And this is what the catholic nuns would say to him and he would say Let me whisper the love of god in your ear, right? And it's kind of mysterious like what does that mean, right? What is he saying? Uh, and he'd just say those things and we would shape up right then and there, right? And it was just kind of this comical thing that we look back on again. My brother heard that way more than I did uh, And then there was another one that was probably one of my favorites. Whenever we were just having a moment together, maybe we were going out for dinner or lunch, he would say, do you remember the day you were born, right? Which is funny because, like, no, I didn't remember the day I was born. But I would comically say, you were there and mom was there, right? Um, he would say, do you remember the day you were born, right? My mom had a saying. She, she had fewer sayings, but the one that she had really uh, stuck with me. This is a saying that she would say um, whenever we do something really stupid or ridiculous, uh, saying that, you know, if we needed a good scolding, she might say this. Maybe we're in an argument and we'd, she'd say this. And I think all of you have actually heard this statement before. It's three words. It's Lord have mercy, Right? Lord have mercy when my brother and I would tie our bikes together and decide to ride in the opposite directions she would say Lord have mercy right when we're in an argument with each other over something so petty she would say Lord have mercy right every time she walks by and a Ravens fan she's like Lord I'm kidding that's not that that one's not real she my mom doesn't care um Lord, have mercy. She would say this to us, and it's this invocation, this invitation for God to not give us what we deserve, right? Which is punishment or guilt, right? It's this invitation, God, have mercy on us. Don't punish us, right? And she'd just say that, Lord, have mercy on my boys, right? And so I'm going to have some fun this morning, right? I'm, I'm encouraging you guys to talk in church today, okay? So what I'm gonna, what's going to happen throughout this sermon is I'm going to say, Lord, have, and y'all say... Ooh, that was good. So in the, if you're online, you can go ahead and type it in the chat. And if you're in your car, just lean on your horn the whole time. That'd be a lot of fun for everybody out there. Uh, so let's try it out. One, I'll say, Lord have mercy. Now say it like you mean it. Lord have mercy. There it is. Perfect. And so throughout the sermon today, we're going to be coming back to this statement. And I want you all to lean in, okay? Now some of you might be asking, Christian, what does Lord have mercy have anything to do with parables, right? Well, the parable that we're in today, I think, is one where we see God exercise remarkable mercy. This is a parable where we see God, some might call it foolish how merciful he's being. Some might call it reckless with how gracious God is being. And so the parable we're in today talks all about that. And so for week six of parables, say we're in the parable of the prodigal son. Now let me recap a little bit what's going on before we kind of dive into the passage. So remember... Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem, and it's not an exciting journey, right? I get excited when I'm going to the beach. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and he knows what's in Jerusalem. He will be crucified. So he's not very thrilled about the idea of journeying to his death, but he does it anyway, and along the way, he is teaching parable after parable, teaching after teaching to try and show people this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in order to inherit it, you have to humble yourselves. Identify that we are broken and messy and that we need a savior, right? And so he's teaching parable after parable a lot to the religious people of that time and the non-religious people. But to the religious people, he's trying to get it in their heads. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks that in order to inherit the kingdom of God, you have to embrace humility. And that was something the religious people had a hard time doing, right? And so he's teaching this along the way. And the interesting part is as he's inviting all of these people who are on the margins, as he's teaching and saying they are included in the kingdom of heaven, they start journeying with them. So the group is getting bigger. Jesus' following is getting bigger. And a lot of ragtag people are joining along. It is a motley crew. And you think the religious people of that time would be excited, right? Hey, our church is getting bigger. This is so cool. That didn't happen. They were actually not excited at all. They looked at some of these people that joined them and said, I don't want to associate with them. I don't want to be a part with them. Did you see what they did? Have you seen their history? Do you know where where they were at last night, right? And so the religious people were so disappointed and so frustrated. And we catch wind of this at the beginning of the chapter that we're in today, which Ben covered last week, uh, chapter 15. In the first two verses, we hear the religious people grumbling. Do y'all love it when people grumble passive aggressively, like under their breath? Like, I know I don't enjoy that, right? And so they are grumbling. And here it is at the beginning of chapter 15, it says in verse 1 Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. And they said these words, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Ugh, why are they joining us? Why are they here? This is better without them. I don't want to associate with them. I do not want them here. And I think it's so funny because most of the parables that we've been covering lately are because someone said something stupid right someone said something so ignorant or ridiculous and so here this this guy says this the pharisees say this and jesus like okay i got three parables for you let's go right here right and i don't know if i should be grateful for their like grumbling or disappointed but we have these three parables because of the grumbling of this person and ben covered the first two of them uh last week and i um on behalf of the clc just wanted to sincerely apologize um, ben brought his G.I. Joe doll again last week, and I know that was, like, super distracting. Um, guys, like, I think there's a problem, because I, like, we'll see him in the office playing with it, and he, like, throws it away real quick. And I'm like, dude, like, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. So I apologize about that. That it was super distracting, right? Lord have mercy on Ben, right? Uh, so, uh, so y'all got it. So after the service, we'll go pray for him. But anyway, uh, the first parable he covered was the parable of the lost sheep, right? And the second one he covered was the parable of the lost coin. The idea was that when Christ loses someone, right, when, um, when someone is lost, Christ will go to great lengths to recover that which is lost, right? Christ will go to great, almost ridiculous, some might label it foolish lengths, to, requ- to acquire that which was lost. And so today is the third parable in the trio of parables. And it's going to be in Luke 15. We actually have our pew Bibles back in the, uh, the pews. If you want to use them, you can. But we'll be in Luke 15 today. And this is the third parable. But this parable hits a bit closer to home, right? We've all lost items before, like a wallet, keys, maybe money. Uh, for me, I can never find the ketchup when I open the fridge, right? And it's always right there. My wife reminds me every time. But we lose things. But it gets a lot more serious when we lose the loved one, right? When maybe they leave us or maybe they pass on. Or maybe, you know, we identify that their heart is just so reluctant to encountering a merciful and loving God, right? And so this parable rises to a much higher uh, level, as it appeals, appeals to losing people, not just sheep or coins, right? This is the third in the trio, so Jesus is really trying to um, wrap it up and make sure these religious people are getting it, right? And so today we are in this parable of the prodigal son. I invite you to use your, if you want, you can use the Bible, use the screens, use your phone, but we're going to start in chapter 15, verse 11. It says, Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, "Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me." So he divided his property between them. So right here from the get-go, like I don't know if this is a hook for you, but those listening to this back then would have been baffled by it, like just this first line of the parable, because what's happening here is the son is asking for his property that he will get one day, right? Other versions of this passage clarify he's asking for his inheritance. And when do we get an inheritance? When the loved one passes away, right? So right from the get-go, we have this younger son. uh, Some commentaries say it might have been like a teenager. He's like, give me my money. I don't care about you. Give me my inheritance now. I do not want to wait, right? And so the request is baffling because, in essence, he's saying, you know, I don't care if you're alive or dead that's pretty harsh, right? I don't care if you're alive or dead. I want my inheritance now. And so the people listening would have been just totally stunned that this younger guy would have said this to his dad. That is a huge no-no. They would have been stunned by that, but they would have been even more stunned at how their father responded, right? Because what he did is he he actually said, okay, and he divided up the property between them right? There's an older son and a younger son, and so he gave the younger son his share of the property, which would have been about one-third of the estate, because in Deuteronomy, it talks about the older son always gets a double portion, so this other son got one-third of the estate. But what's interesting here, and I've never caught this as many times as I've read this story, and this story, actually, I would credit it to being one of the reasons why I work in church today, is this parable, because when I was a teenager in youth group, this kind of just changed my life to see God in this way, right? And so, in all my years knowing this story, I've never caught this. But when it says he divided his property, the Greek word is actually bios, which means life. He divided his life between his sons. And basically what that means is back then, to make it at all, to have any sustain, to be sustained, to have like you didn't have retirement back then. You had land. Land was your main asset. And in order to give the son his share of the inheritance, the father had to sell. His life. He had to sell all of these resources that made him who he was. So he had to divide his life between them. This giving of the inheritance was self-inflicting. It hurt the father to do this. So he divided himself, his life, in order to honor the request of his son. And so the younger son wishes his father dead, demands the money, and the father, who could have easily denied it, sacrificially gives his son his share of the property. Lord have mercy. The passage goes on. A few days later, the young younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. So he gathered everything meaning like I'm not coming back, right? Like if you're moving, you pack up the whole house and you peace out, right? That's exactly what he did. He gathered everything and he left. And uh, do you ever get that feeling like when you see your paycheck hit your bank account, you're like, oh, I want to treat myself, right? Is that just me, right? You get your paycheck. I don't know if that's irresponsible of me, but I I get my paycheck and I'm like, I'm going to Wawa. I'm going to Wawa right now and I'm going to get a large chocolate banana shake, right? That is my go-to. And so uh, he kind of had this moment where he has his inheritance, which was a lot. And he goes and he squanders it. There's two problems here. One, obviously he just, throws it all away in no time. He burns it. He spends every single penny of it. And the second problem is he spends it on what is described as dissolute living. I mean, he's not donating it. He's not investing it, trying to get a return. He is just wasting it on dissolute, immoral living. This could include prostitution, excessive partying, excessive drinking and eating. He blew it. And whatever it was, it was abhorrent. Like, the people listening to this story, like, this is blow after blow. They would have been baffled that someone could do this with their inheritance, especially considering the cost of that inheritance, right? Lord have, y'all got it. This is awesome. I hope you guys are honking in the parking lot. Um, verse 14. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Gosh. So he started like, oh, I got the inheritance. I got all this money. And now the pigs are eating better than him. And I think this is so representative of just life, right? Uh, we have, we might have a lot of resources and we could spend all the time, energy, resources and everything we want on the things that we want, but at the end of the day, we find that we're still hungry, right? We're still yearning for more, that these things actually don't satisfy, right? The pleasure doesn't satisfy that all these things that we try and spend all of our time for, big bank accounts, success, like all of these things at the end of the day, we're still always wanting more. And so may this be a representation of that so we don't settle for these things, right? So he spent everything and he realized this isn't working out, right? And so upon realizing this, he got a job, he uh, decided to feed pigs, because again, this famine happened, famines weren't entirely uncommon in that day and age, right? And so he got a job, and it was feeding pigs. Now, many of us would just look at this job and be like, no thanks, like, i'm good right like i'll pass right however the people listening to this story this is like another blow like this would have been like what he took that job and there's two reasons why this would have been just totally baffling for them the first being he would have had to have hired himself out to a gentile and jews didn't associate with gentiles right the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, did not associate themselves with Gentiles. And, and Gentiles are basically anyone who is not Jewish, right? And so he would have had to have hired himself out to a Gentile. And they would be like, that is, that is ridiculous, right? And the second reason being is uh, he was feeding pigs. They The religious at the time never associated with pigs. That is, a, a, one, just a disgusting job to them. But two, they would never, never, never associate with pigs. They wouldn't feed them. They wouldn't eat them. They wouldn't do anything like that. And so this is, a, this is a terrible, almost repulsive to the religious audience of that time, right? And then we kind of find he hits rock bottom. Like, I don't know about you, but if I want to eat pig food, something must be going very wrong with my life, right? He hits rock bottom because here he is, no money, nothing, and he's wanting to eat the pig food. Lord have mercy. Next verse, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have enough bread and to spare? Have, en- have bread enough and to spare, but here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. He had this moment of realization. He kind of came to his senses that things could be better. Things could be better. In fact, they were better when I was at home and I was my father's son. But now they could be better if I was at home and I was my father's servant. Like, things could be better. And so he comes up with a plan Right, this kind of speech that he's working through is: I'm going to say this to my dad. I'm going to try and argue my case just to be one of my dad's workers here. Right? And how often do we try and do stuff like that? Right? When we've just like messed up, we try and work our way back into God's good graces. Right? We try and do more and work harder to try and somehow earn God's love. And so we have this moment where he comes to his senses and he's like, "I got to go home." And this would have been like the climax of the story, right? Because everyone's remembering. Do you remember what he did to his dad, right? Like, what's his dad going to do? This is the climax of the story. Uh, Has anyone seen a Christmas story? Now that we're talking about Christmas, it's right around the corner. Anyone see a Christmas story from 1983? Yeah, I thought of this. That movie's like almost 40 years old now. Anyway, uh, a Christmas story. We have that one scene where Ralphie is at school and he gets into a fight with his bully, but he kind of beats up his bully, right? And so then he goes home and it cuts to the scene where Randy is under the kitchen sink and Randy's just weeping and sobbing. And the mom goes and opens the kitchen sink underneath, right, to see Randy there weeping. And she's like, Randy, what's wrong? Y'all know what he says? He says, Daddy's gonna kill Ralph right? He says, daddy's gonna kill Ralphie, right? In this moment, in this parable, these religious people would have thought, oh, this dad's gonna kill his younger son. He's gonna excommunicate him. He is going to punish him and kick him out. And the responses would have been appropriate for the father to do these things because of what the son had done, right? And so, All these people thought, oh, this younger son is in for a rude awakening. May the Lord have Mercy. mercy, right? Let's see what happens. Verse 20. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. This is not the response anyone anticipated. This is not the response that any father in that time would have had towards their son who had done something like this. The father runs and embraces him. Imagine he's seeing his son in a far off distance, which means he's probably waiting at the door, and he sees him. He's like, There's my boy. And so he runs over to him and embraces him. And get this, culturally, it was super inappropriate for a male or a father to run at that time. You'd have to kind of pick up your robe and sprint. That would have been, that would have been looked down upon culturally. So here he is, once again, sacrificing his status, his self, in order to bring in the son. And he has compassion with. If you actually look up. The definition of compassion, or if you do study the etymology of it or the origins of it, it means to suffer with. So here he does. He literally runs out there and suffers with his boy. He hugs him and welcomes him him home. He has compassion. And so the father ran to and embraced the insulting, inheritance-wasting, prostitute-buying, pig-feeding younger brother. By this point in time, his audience would have been really angry. The religious people listening to this would have been super frustrated. Like, that's not right. He deserves punishment. That is not okay. And <laughs> it gets better, y'all, like this next, this next verse. Uh, in verse 21, it says, Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father sent to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals On his feet. So not only is he embraced in, which would have been enough to anger the Pharisees, but God, this Father, is treating him like royalty. This father is welcoming him home. They give him a robe, not just any robe. Go get the best one that's been waiting in the back of the closet, right? Give him a ring. At that time, they would have probably had a signet ring, which would have the family symbol on it. It's what they used to kind of make promises and covenants. They would have probably given him that ring, which represents you are part of our family. You are part of this family, right? And get sandals for his feet, because children wear sandals. And at times, if you were a worker or if you're a slave, you did not wear sandals. But you are part of this family. Get him some sandals. Each was a sign of position and acceptance. And the father just gave it all back to him. It's funny because he, here he is. The son's kind of doing his speech, right? The one he wrote out and practiced And the father doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care at all. He kind of blew him off. He was like, hold on, hold on. Get the robe. Get the ring, right? He just totally blew him off. He did not want to hear about that. What he was glad about was his son was home, right? (laughs) And then the biggest gift of all, verse 23. And get the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Y'all, do you ever have that restaurant that you don't go to often because you'd have to go to the bank to get a small loan just to pay for it? Right? <laughs> right, anyone? Uh, this is what this moment would have been like, right? For me, for my family, uh, I think we went to Ruth Chris once. My dad had a bunch of gift cards and whatever, you know, the gift cards didn't cover. There was f- seven of us, so we could wash a lot of dishes real quick. Um, but that was an expensive meal, right? And so in this moment, To get the fattened calf, that was a, a delicacy. You don't just have a bunch of calves lying around that you could do for this. They would save one calf and feed it and get it ready and prepare it for a feast, for a significant occasion. This is a significant occasion. It was expensive. It was costly. They threw an expensive party for the kid that just blew his inheritance Unexpensive parties. And why do they do this? The father's value is not in the calf. He values his child, right? And the child whom was lost has returned. This child whom they presumed both physically and spiritually dead displays new vitality and returns home. So yeah, it's a no-brainer. A party is an order to celebrate the son coming back home, right? Right? The Pharisees were probably saying, Lord, have right? And guess what? He does. He's rich in mercy. He welcomes the son back. He welcomes the sinner back. In Scripture, we see him welcome a murderer, Moses, to deliver the Israelites from captivity. We also see that he welcomes a terrorist named Paul to write half the New Testament, right? And he welcomes us back. Mess and awe. He welcomes us back. That is worth a party, right? Now, the parable could have ended here, right? I mean, just like the previous two parables, they ended when the lost object was found. And so here we are. The lost object is returned home. We've had a party, fattened calf. Woo, this is awesome, right? It could have ended here. But remember, Jesus is actually trying to talk to the religious folk in this parable, and he's trying to get them to understand something. So he's only halfway done. And I think I am too. I'm going to be another like 50 minutes, guys. I'm kidding. I'm not. Um, But here he is. He's trying to, this parable is in response to the ignorance of the Pharisees. He's responding to the grumbling of the Pharisees, the religious people, commenting on the fact that they will grumble and complain about the sinner, but Jesus welcomes them, hugs them, gives them a ring and a robe and sandals, right? He's trying again, again, he's journeying to Jerusalem where he's going to die, and he's trying to pay, paint a very vivid, a very clear picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's also commenting on the fact that due to the, the humble state of the broken and the vulnerable people, they are more poised to experience the kingdom of heaven than these religious people at this time. And so he's trying to get these people to understand this, and that's why he goes about the second half of the parable. For the second half, Jesus shifts his attention away from the younger son and to the older son, his brother, right, who represents the religious people of the day. And let me tell you what, guys, it isn't good. Whereas my mom might say, Lord, have mercy. So verse 25, it says, Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. That's strange. I don't remember there being a party, today." He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. You think the brother would be like, oh, he's home? Like, oh my gosh, I've not seen him in forever. Yeah, let me go in there. Let's party. Let's eat that calf, right? Wrong. He does not respond like that at all. In verse 28, then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. For the second time in this parable, we have the father going out to bring in. We have the father going out to bring the son in, right? And this is, uh, this is his response to the father's plea in verse 29. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friend. But when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. So there's a lot happening here, right? A parable represents something bigger. And so what is Jesus trying to teach in this moment? I think what he's trying to do is offer a critique of the religious. I mean, that would be us, right? He's trying to offer a critique of the religious. And I don't bring up, you know, sometimes these passages are weird to like go about because in some ways they have us call into question, are we doing this right? Are we doing what Jesus is actually calling us to? So I don't bring any of this up to kind of heap on guilt or shame, like, guys, we got to do better. Not at all, but rather, I think God has for us in this freedom and liberation. And if we can walk in what God has for us, we can experience that freedom and liberation to the fullest. So let's lean in for the next couple minutes. So the parable offers an honest, critical observation detailing the sins of the religious people. And the first one is that the religious people of that time, like the older brother, were overly self-righteous, right? So overly self-righteous is marked by a, a look at me and look at them type mentality. Like, look at me, I've not disobeyed any of your commands. I've been working at you, but look at your son. And it's interesting, he doesn't say my brother. It's almost like he himself is trying to disassociate from his brother. He's saying, look, your son, he screwed up. He spent all of his inheritance on prostitutes. And you're going to give him the calf, right? And so he's more concerned with himself. He's disassociating with his brother. And he's practicing self-righteousness here. And I'm guilty of that, guys. He's obsessed with the idea that if he can work hard enough, if he can labor hard enough, if he can obey enough, then his father will love him then his father will throw a party for him, right? It's interesting because, like, the young goat would have been a lot cheaper than the fatted calf. And he's like, you don't even give me that. Which brings us to the second thing. Well, I, I want to mention, too, that this is, if you see what's happening in the parable, there's a great contrast between the father and this religious, the, the religious people or the son, right? Um, whereas the father's welcoming him in, the son is doing the very opposite. When we should be reflecting what the father's doing, Right? And so the second kind of critique that this parable might be offering, and one of my favorite authors uh, kind of puts it pretty well, Tim Keller, he identifies the second uh, critique, which is, there's an obsession with things of the Father, but not the Father, right? He wants to follow the Father for the things he could get, but he doesn't want to follow the Father just for the Father, right? He's talking about this young, like, he's not, you've not given me anything. I've been here this whole time, and you've not given me anything. And so he's concerned about what he can get just for being with this father, to be in this family. And it's interesting, he's disappointed that his father did the fattened calf, because that would have been really expensive, right? Whose inheritance would he be spending for this party? Because the younger brother already got his inheritance, so everything that the father owns now will go to the older brother, and so maybe the older brother is disappointed because, hey, you're spending my money on him? You're spending my inheritance on him, right? And so he's more concerned and more obsessed with the things that he will get from the Father instead of just the Father himself. So the older brother and the Pharisees, the religious of that day, exhibit that obsession with the two things, self-righteousness and being preoccupied with things of the Father but not the Father. These two things will render even the most seemingly religious spiritually bankrupt, right? And so in the wake of this, the father then responds in verse 31. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. What a beautiful response, right? Because he could have just yelled at him right then and there. But I love this. Even in the midst of this, he's showing so much grace because he's says son, which is a term of affection, Right? His affection for his son. He says, son, I'm always here with you. Everything that you might need is here. And so he's so, showing him so much grace. And then he says, son, you're always with me. Isn't that enough? Like, isn't that enough just to be in this family, to be in a relationship with me? You have everything you need. I give you absolutely everything you need. But maybe the older son, like the younger son, wanted a lot more, Right? I've given you anything you need. Shouldn't that be enough for us? So often we want Jesus and everything else, right? Jesus and wealth. Jesus and success. Jesus and the fatted calves, right? But what if it's just Jesus and nothing else? I think that could be the distinguishing marker of a church. What if everyone just wanted Jesus and nothing else, right? What if we just wanted Jesus and nothing else? And so the Father reminds him, you have everything that you would ever need. So the parable concludes in verse thirty-two. But when he had to celebrate and rejoice, but we sorry, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is kind of the line that ties together the three parables, right? The two from last week and this one is: What do we do when we acquire something that is lost? It says we rejoice. And we celebrate. And we throw an expensive party. And we slaughter the fattened calf. And we eat. And we celebrate together. But what was the one thing that prompted the sharing of these parables? The grumbling of the Pharisees. At, God, at the kingdom of God. At what God is about. Right? When the lost thing is found. No matter what the circumstances. We are invited to celebrate And rejoice Not grumble And so again he's offering this critique To The Pharisees and how they responded And what's very interesting I don't know if you noticed this but that's it That's the end of the parable Right it's like a cliffhanger y'all I hate cliffhangers I don't like to wait I'm not a patient person If you ask my wife She will tell you I'm not a patient person right I don't like cliffhangers But this is the end of the passage And there's only one lost son And it's not the younger son. Tim Keller says it this way, the lover of prostitutes is saved and the man of moral rectitude is lost. And that's how the parable ends. What's going to happen next? Right? I think sometimes the writers of Scripture are very intentional with these things to kind of not give us an ending because it kind of puts it on us to figure out what should happen next. How should we respond? What would God have us do? Are we going to continue grumbling? Or are we going to celebrate? Or are we going to celebrate and sing songs of rejoicing? What will happen next? Do you remember the objective of a parable is to teach us greater truth about who we are, to find ourselves in the parable, and to teach us about who God is. And then it invites us to actually do something about it, right? It's supposed to give us more clarity so that as we continue our journey, we can do something about it, right? And so, I want to make some final observations as we consider what this means for us, okay? And the first one is we have a gracious and merciful God. We have a gracious and merciful God who, even on our worst days, runs out to us, just hugs us and embraces us, and gives us the gifts of being a part of the family, right? A God who offers us a robe an embrace, compassion, a ring, and a meal, even on our worst of days. That's the first observation that we get from this parable. And the second one is about us. We are greatly broken and desperately in need of a gracious and merciful God. Even if it's on the days where we're blowing our inheritance, we're doing things that we regret, We're experiencing heartbreak. Whatever it could be, you hit rock bottom. You're experiencing guilt or shame. You wasted your time, your resources, or even cursed at God and wished him dead. Or you could be the one who is always at church, always singing songs, always tithing, never disobeying. You know what I'm saying? Jesus teaches in this parable that the worst of the worst and the best of the best still need an all-gracious and merciful God Tim Keller again one of my favorite authors kind of writes more to this point and he kind of puts these sayings next to each other and how both sons actually avoided the father both sons didn't receive the father in the way that they should and he writes it like this and I want us to be honest with ourselves as I read through this I want us to be honest with ourselves to see which one of these things might apply to us and I know this is difficult and challenging but I want us to lean into this okay okay Tim Keller writes, one fell short by being very bad and taking the things of the Father. The other fell short by being very good and expecting the things of the Father. One of them tried to gain control by leaving and disobeying. The other tried to gain control by staying and obeying. One escaped God through immorality and irreligion. One escaped God through morality and religion. Both of them treated the Father like a means to an end, a means to prosperity, a means to blessing, right? But the only difference is that one of them came home. One of them came home. And that's what God invites of us. Not to try and work to get in His good graces, not to think that we could perform better, do better, do more. We could, you could do whatever you want. We'll always fall short. But the good news is we don't have to we just have to come home we have to come home and receive the love of the father and let the father transform us from the inside out and so that's what's on the table here that we'd respond to this invitation doesn't matter where we've been doesn't matter what we've done that's why it's good news we can't earn it god just gives it to us as a gift and invites us to accept it we're about to sing a song, in fact. I'm going to invite the band up, uh, and I love this song. It's all about laying your burdens down. And uh, coming to the Father's house, lay your burdens down. And that's what it's all about. It's coming to the Father's house. The epitome of being a Christian is not having everything together, not knowing all the answers, not, you know, knowing every word of the Bible. It's being able to lay your shame down and say, I need a good Father. I need help, Right? We're all deeply broken in need of a merciful and gracious Father daily. And there's good news. The Lord has mercy. mercy. He is chasing after us, pleading that we join Him at the table, that we day in and day out respond to His invitation to participate with Him in the feast. So I'm going to wrap up with an application because, yeah, application is really important. We want to make sure that we read Scripture and then it actually changes how we go about life, right? Um, but I was having a hard time with this because what do I say? Like, just follow Jesus, right? It's kind of general uh, and maybe cliche, but rather I want to invite us to do uh, what the younger son did. I want us to come to our senses, right? I want us to be brutally honest about ourselves, maybe with a trusted friend about our own shortcomings. We should be brutally honest with ourselves and maybe a trusted friend about, oh, man, I've been going through the motions. I've not really been participating, right? May we be brutally honest with ourselves when we are tempted uh, to follow Jesus for all the things we can get, but not for Jesus, right? May we just come to our senses and return to the Father for no other reason than just experience the Father. Our God is rich in mercy, and He is inviting us to accept and experience that mercy. I'm going to pray for us real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have mercy for our nominal devotion. Lord, you have mercy for our preoccupation with ourself, which I am guilty of. You have mercy for our preoccupation with our needs and our wants. Lord, you have mercy, and we thank you so much that you do. We thank you so much that you give this to us as a gift, not something that we can earn not something that we can work hard enough for, but that you welcome us, that you are waiting at the door for us to come across the horizon so that you can embrace us and welcome us home. We pray that if we find that we, we're the younger brother or the older brother, that we would just be brutally honest, that we would come to our senses, that your spirit would do a work in us to enable us to figure out what it is that's going on so that we can lay these burdens down so that we don't have to carry them anymore, but rather that we can trust you and so God we pray that as we sing this song that it may not just be a prayer but rather that it would just be a full-out declaration for what we are to do which is lay our burdens down and experience the feast of the Lord and so God we love you thank you so much for loving us we pray this in your name amen would you guys stand and worship with us
1: this journey get lost in my mistakes looks to me like weakness is a canvas for his strength my story isn't over my story's just begun fail you won't define me because that's what my father does no fail you won't define me because that's what my father does Ooh, ooh, ooh,
2: ooh. lay your burdens down Ooh, 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 ooh. here in the Father's house Check your shame at the door Cause it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, 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 ooh. you're in the Father's house
1: Journeys where you are. You never wanted perfect. You just wanted my heart. And the story isn't over if the story isn't good now. And failure's never final when the father's in the room. But failure's never final when the father's in the room. Ooh.
2: They are burning
1: Is on the move when the father's in the room. Hallelujah. The prison doors fling wide. The dead come to life. Love is on the move when the father's in the room.
2: Miracles take place. The cynical find faith. Gold walls are quaking, strongholds now are shaking. Love and
0: mention uh, if you need to chat with anyone I know sometimes this stuff brings up a lot in me Uh, if you need to chat with anyone please know that anyone on stage staff uh, we got greeters would love love to chat or pray if you need it at all that's what community is for and as we talked about earlier we're a very interesting season right but we believe the best is yet to come and so for that reason and for the reason that we have an ever merciful God who's just inviting us home let's be joyous let's rejoice and let's have peace this week We love you guys. Thanks so much for being here. We will see you next week.